All right, here we go. I'm gonna tell you about my first week of marriage, all right? So I got married three and a half years ago, and I spent my honeymoon in Tampa, Florida. And the reason I spent my honeymoon in Tampa, Florida is because the day of my wedding, I figured out my passport was expired and had been for a while. And so I couldn't go to Waltuco, Mexico, as originally planned. Oh, no. oh yeah, 7 a.m. wedding day, bride-to-be comes and greets me because I'm unexpectedly where she's at, bawling my eyes out in the car, just like, <laughs> what are you saying, Josh? My passport is not. And finally, I, got it, I made it clear, you know, we're not going to Waltuco, baby, okay? But you got to marry me. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> you got to be the strong one in this marriage. I thought you knew that. Uh, but uh, so anyway, we're in Tampa. And uh, aside from, and Tampa's great, but you know, just, it's not Waltuco. And uh, it's not an all-inclusive resort. It's a condo that a friend hooked me up with, and, uh, and, uh, which is pretty clutch. But uh, anyway, so we drove eight hours to uh, Tampa. And um, aside from just being blown away that I had married my best friend and that Leah was my wife now and how cool that was, um, I had a really random experience in the week of my honeymoon. Um, I... I started having like an existential crisis. <laughs> it was really weird timing. I don't know if it was like the eternity of marriage or like that, that feeling of infinity or something that subconsciously got to me. But out of nowhere, I just started feeling the weight of existence. I don't know if you've ever felt the weight of existence before, but it's pretty daunting. Where you're just like, hey man, what's going on? You know? <laughs> like, you ever just been like, yo, what? <laughs> you know, like we were just like, seriously, like you just kind of, what's an arm? How do I have one of those? What am I saying? How, how are these noises making sense to me? What's a mouth? What, what's this hole in my face? And, and when it makes noises, somehow the holes in your face hear them and you understand what the patterns mean. Like, what's going on? You know, this is a bistro table. That's what they call this thing. I don't know what that means. Look at it. That's, that's wood. Someone cut this out of a tree, dude. And I'm like, who made the tools that could cut this out of a tree? And then this part's metal. I don't even know what metal really is, honestly. Like, and then they put it, like, what's, this is a computer. What's a computer, dude? How are people doing stuff like this? You know what I mean? Do you ever, like, slow down long enough and be like, no, seriously, what's going on? <laughs> like... Like, where did this come from? Like, what's going on, dude? I don't understand how all this is going. Like, that's not just Christian people, right, that have those thoughts. That's like everybody. I started realizing, I'm like, there's no way I'm the first guy to ever be like, hey, what's up? I'm like out on the porch, ocean waves, stars in the sky. This is true, like clear, beautiful night on my honeymoon, married to the love of my life. And you would think I would just be like, man, life's so good. I was like, what's going on, dude? <laughs> like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if you've ever done that. Like, looked around and just been like, wow, this is so weird that we're just alive here. And I think that happened for like months. And honestly, I don't look back at it super fondly. It like really triggered some like anxiousness in me. Just the crisis of existence. Why am I here? What is the purpose of all this? At times I was mad. I'm like, I don't know. All I got is questions and no answers. And I, have you ever done that? Have you ever just like went outside and been quiet enough to like hear your thoughts and then been like, how do we have thoughts? How do I hear something right now? 
Ain't no noise happening, but I'm hearing stuff. You know, if I tell you right now to picture yourself at Bridgestone Arena playing guitar and 10,000 people giving you a standing ovation, that's never gonna happen, dude. But you can picture it in your head right now. You got thoughts. You can see stuff, hear stuff. That's crazy. You got a conscience. Is that not crazy? I just kind of realize whether you're religious or believe in science or you just kind of do the ignorance is bliss mantra, you're like, I ain't thinking about none of it. <laughs> like, whatever it is, like, I just kind of realized, you know, one thing humanity all has in common. There's very few things that we can all look around and go, hey, we've thought something like this before probably. Or maybe right now is the first time, but you're thinking it now, sorry. You gotta deal with it. <laughs> but there's one thing humanity, every last one of us has in common. It's, hey, what's going on for real? <laughs> And on some level, with fear and trembling, not really knowing. And those types of questions, what's going on? Why are we here? What's the meaning of all this? Where'd it come from? Where's it headed? Eternity's real, we know that, because I mean, where did it come from? Like, so, God or no God, we're just living in eternity, so that's, that's super strange. And these thoughts, these questions, that's what I call soul-level questions. We got soul-level questions. I think every last one of us has a soul that's asking these questions. And it's more about if we're willing to slow down long enough and sort through the fear and have enough courage to actually listen and wrestle with those questions because they're real. I mean, one of the realest things about you, hate to be a bummer, you're gonna die. I mean, that's the weirdest thing. We, we all live in ignorance of that on purpose, willful ignorance of that fact. You are finite. These questions Again, I'm not trying to be emotionally provocative. I'm just telling you real things right now. It's hard. And I'm convinced that if you've never wrestled with those questions, and if you're not wrestling with them right now, you're either too scared or too distracted. And I kind of started thinking about, I tend to believe in spiritual warfare, which is super, I mean, I feel like I'm like being weird even saying that out loud, so whatever. But I believe there's an enemy and there's spiritual realm. And I believe the enemy works his best in distraction by getting your mind to think about things that aren't of eternal consequence. Things like money. You're in line at Barista Parlor. Open up the Regions app. You got 70 bucks in your checking account. I can swing it. Sugar-free vanilla latte, oat milk, please. And then over that sugar-free vanilla latte with oat milk, you start thinking, that's not a lot of money in my account. And you know what? I'm going to ask my boss for a raise, or I've got to graduate college super soon and get a real job. Like, this ain't easy. And for the next couple of weeks, you just start scheming. Like, what's it going to look like? How am I going to start making money? You start stressing out. What about when I find someone that I'm going to marry, and they find out I'm broke as a joke? What's happening? Like, that's not going to be good. And then all of a sudden, your mind's just fixated. Some of you got a house, but you need a bigger one. Your family's growing but your income don't match your dreams. You need a couple extra rooms, a lot of extra square feet, and you know how it's gonna work, and that's all your brain can think about. Some of you are trying to make good investments, trying to get into the stock market. What the heck is a stock market? I don't know what the heck it is. I've asked so many people and had them tell me, and I swear they knew what they were saying, but I had no clue what was going on. <laughs> Crypto, I still don't know. I don't want to know. Don't tell me, you know? I don't know what's going on. But you ever found yourself in a season where all you can think about is money? You ever seen what that can do to you? You ever see what it does to your thoughtfulness? All your spare real estate in your brain is just eaten up with money. Some of us, we think about power and status, who we are to people, in our family, 
in our friends, in our classrooms, in our, our places of work. Everything we do is for everyone else, consumed with what everyone thinks of us, hoping to climb a, a social ladder, whether it be promotions, Spotify streams, TikTok views, whatever it is, everything we wear, everything we're trying to become, how we talk, the jokes we make, the jokes we laugh at, the way we respond to people, all consumed with how am I perceived because I'm climbing a ladder. I got places to be in a place like Nashville. I can barely go on 12 South without thinking for at least 30 minutes, what am I wearing out here? I gotta look like I belong, you know what I'm saying? A little mini version of Hollywood, something we don't want, but I don't know, for some reason it's alluring. Think about romance. Some of us are walking with the weight of the world on the greatest love story ever written becoming our life. And that other person has no clue how much pressure is on them on that first date. Everything they order, every joke they make, every awkward laugh, they are being judged. Are you my soulmate? <laughs> you know what I mean? You ever been on one of those first dates where you're like, within 10 seconds, that first hug, you're like, nah, I don't think forever's for us. <laughs> they just and it's not a me problem for sure. They just don't got, they're not cut out for it. <laughs> they're not a part of this love story. You guys ever have that? If they only knew the test that they had to pass to be good enough for you with your insane thoughts of knowing what a soulmate is within 10 minutes of a cup of coffee, you know what I mean? And the pressure just mounts. When is this going to come true for me? And so our brain just revolves. Every person we see on Instagram, every person we follow, I mean, all of a sudden, their only role is to help us figure out if they will or won't be our soulmate. And that's what our brain just revolves around. Every swipe, every person we walk past, is that them? Romance consumes our mind. Some of us obsess over physical appearance. You know, this self-tanner isn't organic, but man, it's effective. You know what I'm saying? This, this shirt I'm wearing to the gym's a little loose on me. Give me three months. It's gym season, baby. I'm going to fill this sucker out. Every time we go out, we're so aware of what we look like. And our brain obsesses, how do I get the body I want? How do I look the way I need to look? Because we've been told hot people look a certain way, and that's what our brain's fixated on. Then there's movies and video games and sports and apps and hobbies. And, and all of a sudden, we find our brain just hopping from one task to the next, one distraction to the next. Some distractions last for weeks and months. Other times, we're going from one distraction to the next, maybe seven or eight distractions all within the same day. And I'm starting to think all these distractions are there for a reason, to lead us to ignore the cry of our souls. Our souls want to talk to us, but distractions keep us at surface level. They keep us at the very top. They keep us easily distracted, self-obsessed, OCD about what tomorrow holds and what today lacks. It's as if every day in this chaos, our lives is fighting with all its might to suppress the voice of our soul. I think your soul has a lot of questions and a lot of desires, and all the categories I just touched on cannot get to your soul. All these distractions, they kind of serve like salt water, but like not as gross as like the ocean. That's not a very appealing salt water but a salt water that feels like water. And with every drink, we're convinced we're getting hydration, but every 20 minutes, every few days, every few weeks, we realize I'm still thirsty. I'm still thirsty. This isn't it, this isn't it. And we stay on this hamster wheel 
and the carrot's right there, and we think if we'll just run harder, if we'll just accomplish this, get this done, get this done in my family, get this done in my career, get this done in my community, get this done in my love story, finally, I'll, I'll fill this thing up. Just run harder, focus more, squint those eyes, see the carrot, and you just, you're never gonna get there. In Luke chapter 18, there's a story of a rich, young ruler from multiple accounts of this story, we gather that this man is young and he carries some version of authority and he's really wealthy. So in other words, he's everything we all wish we were. Young, power, rich. Sound good? Can we be honest? Young, rich, and powerful? Can we all just like admit, like doesn't that sound amazing? And somehow, that's not enough for him. He still comes, nah. Satan. <laughs> Let's figure out what just happened. Luke. Oh, hey, nah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> hey, Jesus. When the power goes out, Satan. When the power's back on, Jesus. Hey, Luke, are we still recording and everything? We good? All right, amen. The podcast got to hear this too. We're getting salvation through a lot of methods. Um, all right. All right. Um, so this rich man, young, Rich, authority, what we would want in life. All of that, and he still has this question. He comes before Jesus, and he goes, hey, Jesus, what must I do to get eternal life? I, I just want you to catch this. A man that is young and rich and powerful has this itch in him that knows, I don't have it yet. The thing I need, I still lack. And he comes before Jesus, and Jesus, in short, oh yeah, tells him, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give the money to the poor, and follow me. And the end of the story is really harsh because the man gets very sad because he was extremely rich. That's the end of the story. He doesn't walk away, feel convicted, come back. He just gets sad because he had so much stuff. And it, it feels kind of harsh it's like, Jesus, could we not have got him on the Dave Ramsey-like way of doing things, helped him budget his way into selling every single thing he has and being completely broke? You know, could we have had a three-year plan? It feels kind of harsh to do it immediately. It feels pretty jarring for Jesus just to jump all the way into selling everything, but here's the deal. Jesus is not content to stay surface level with this dude. He had soul-level questions, and so Jesus immediately goes to the soul. The real thing happening in this man is he had a soul crying out, why am I here? What fills this void? What answers these questions? Jesus knew this man was not a master of his finances, but finances were his master, and he was seeking to free this man. In the same way for us, how many friends we have, our social status, our romantic situation, the same way that they master over us, consume our minds. And Jesus is saying, no one and no thing has the right to tell you who you are except for me. So if it's $1 billion standing in the way from you knowing who you truly are, then light that billion dollars on fire right now. It begs the question, what's a soul worth? Jesus, do you know, he is not thinking in our terms. There is no chance that he is thinking in any way like culture thinks 
when he says, oh, you want to turn a life? Sell everything you got. Give it to the poor. Come with me. He knows something that our world doesn't know or some of our instincts lead us astray. We got passions and we got desires, but they're surface level, but our soul's looking for something more. Jesus makes good on his promises. When he asks you to put selfish ambition aside, to put these desires on the surface level of your hearts aside for his sake, to lay down your life and follow him, I promise you that he's, he's not a bully that's making you give him your stuff for your suffering and his good. I think some of our church experiences have represented Jesus to be toxic, legalistic, to leave you striving for more, striving and striving and striving and finally just hoping to convince yourself you've done enough for Jesus to love you. That's not the Jesus I'm talking about today. Here's what I believe. Jesus is ready and willing and eager to do such a good work in your soul and to bring you life and life abundantly. And I want to talk about that in two ways. I think Jesus wants to do such a wonderful work in you, first and foremost. First, he wants to do a work in you. But that's just a piece of the gospel, because after that, I think he wants to do a work through you. And that's where the gospel becomes complete in our lives. It meets us and does something to our souls, and then it does a work through us in the lives of those around us. So I want to start by talking about what I think Jesus wants to do in you today. Jesus longs to clothe you in righteousness. That's what he wants. He wants to clothe you in righteousness. Romans 3 verse 10 says, there is none righteous, no, not one. As best as we can try, we can only make it so long before coming face to face with the ugly that lies within us. We can convince ourselves that we're all just trying our hardest and at the end of the day, we're all innocent people, victims for one reason or the other, but at some point, we understand that we're bitter, we're greedy, we're lustful, we're hateful, we're jealous, we're anxious, we're prideful, we're impatient, we're unforgiving. Not always, not every day, maybe, I don't know. But sometimes, and that sometimes, that's sin. And that sin is something that an infinite, perfect God has never tasted for one millisecond of his existence. That sin is what creates real friction between us and a holy God. And our brains can't wrap our minds around what it would be like to stand in the literal presence of an infinite, perfect, holy, righteous God. We will, but on this side, we, we don't know. But here's the miracle of this. 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So this means when you draw your last breath and you stand before God, a holy, perfect, righteous God, when he looks at you, he'll be looking into a mirror seeing the perfect righteousness of Christ that has been lavished onto your soul for now and all eternity. Do you know how wonderful it is that if you belong to Jesus, you will stand before God and he will only see righteousness. If you belong to Jesus right now, all he sees is righteousness. 
regardless of what last night was, regardless of what these last two weeks were. When you belong in Jesus, he's got your back now and forever. Ephesians 2, 1 through 9 says this, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Here's your status with the Lord. And raised us, us, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages that will come, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith. And this is not your doing. It is the gift of God. Hallelujah. By grace, you've been saved. When you give your life to God, Jesus promises in John 14 and John 16 that he will give us the Holy Spirit. There are several instances of this in the book of Acts. And Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the helper and the spirit of truth. I think you're going to hear me emphasize salvation today giving your life to Jesus. But man, salvation is just a starting point of a very wonderful life in the Lord. You get the, the privilege and the grace and the mercy of walking with the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth and the helper. And as you walk with the Holy Spirit, he'll start making things pop up in your life that'll make you so proud, so proud of yourself, proud of, your, proud of yourself. <laughs> The Holy Spirit, thank you. Uh, the Holy Spirit will produce things in you like love, joy, peace, and it's good news. Patience, kindness, self-control. The Bible calls this fruit. It's the outworking of what God's done inside of you. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, he calls it the fruit of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. Against such thing, there are no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I've seen this happen several times in people around me. It's definitely happened in my own life. You know, nowadays, sometimes people will be like, man, you're so encouraging. You're like one of the nicest people. And I say that not as a brag, because if you would have known me in high school, in college, most of the time people go, yeah, I remember meeting you. I thought you hated me. They would say that literal word, hate. I'm like, what? I didn't like punch you. What happened? Like, why did you think that? But I carried this sarcasm. I carried this negativity, this cynicism almost in how I talk to people. It was just an immature thing in me. And as I walked with Jesus, and my mind started meditating on that Hebrews 3.13 that some of my disciple guys have heard me say at nauseum, to encourage each other daily, as long as it's called today, that your hearts may not be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. When I started realizing, oh, when we encourage each other, the power of heaven goes to work on the human soul. And I just started making it a practice, Holy Spirit, help me to see people, to pray for people, and to speak life into them. And now 10 years later, people think I'm like a nice person and super encouraging. And I'm like, that, that's fruits of the spirit. I got several people around me and I got people that just met them recently and they're like, man, that person's amazing. 
And I'm like, they are awesome. I wish you could have seen them three years ago. They were awesome then, but they're more awesome now. <laughs> the fruit of the Spirit is just bursting forth out of the life, out of their life. Man, you have, man, what the Holy Spirit does in you. Right now, you got impatience, you got bitterness, you got frustrations, you got anxiousness and anger and pride, and, and you're convinced that's just who you are. Watch what the Holy Spirit does in your life. Watch what God does in a soul that is surrendered to him. You'll be a different person as you walk with Jesus. It's fruits of the Spirit. When Jesus comes into your life and you begin to live like him, you begin to experience the bliss of Matthew 16, 24, where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Do you know the peace and the rest and the fulfillment that comes when you let go of yourself and you grab hold of Jesus? I'm convinced you are harder to deal with than you think. Amen? I'm convinced you're harder to deal with than you think. I'm harder to deal with than I think. So often we spend so much of our lives trying to keep hold of the wheel, forgetting the famous words of Carrie Underwood. Come on. Jesus, take, yeah. Anyway. But so often I feel like some of the stress and the anxiety and the hardship we're carrying is because we just want control. And that illusion, that bubble is just bursted every few weeks and we're reminded, I don't have control. And Jesus is going, if you'll give up control, Give up your life, give up your way, give up your def defenses, give up your preferences, give up your lifestyle, like give it up and grab on to the Lord of Jesus. You can have everything you want. You can have life and life abundantly. And Jesus is going to shape what you want and he will give it to you. And it will bring a joy to your soul that nothing else can. When you lose your life as you know it, you gain life as God intended it. Nothing can replace that. Y'all, there is nothing like praying to the God of the universe and knowing he is there and he loves you. I can't, I can't preach that. I can't put words on that. I can't even put words on praying the most frustrating, I don't feel you, hear you, think you're even real prayers. And I look back now and I'm like, you were there, thank you, thank you. I was so mad, I was so anxious, and I, with the, all I had, I wanted to just quit faith, you know? And I look back and I'm like, man, you carried me through that season. I can't put words on that. I can't put words on what it's like to cry out to God and, and to believe that he's real, powerful, sovereign, eternal, perfect, and righteous, and looking on me, and he could not love me any more than he already does. And to actually believe it, and to like, I can't put words on it, but to, to like know that my soul knows it's true. Like, oh my goodness, you really see me right now, and you love me, and you do not count me for my sin. You see Jesus. There's nothing like that. That is life. That's abundant life, to know that God sees you, is with you, in you, and loves you. But that's just a piece of this. God also wants to do work through our lives. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God as beloved children. I'm convinced we have a lot of people that call themselves Christians. We have a lot fewer people who are genuinely imitators of God. But that's the hope of the gospel. It breeds imitators of the living God 
who lives that Philippians 2 spirit, the God who considered equality with God, nothing to be grasped, but took on the form of a human in Jesus, took on flesh, lived a perfect life as a servant to people. We get to be imitators of that God, the one that became human, took on sin, gave up his status, his power, his wealth for the sake of another. We get to begin living out that gospel story for our fellow man. We get to start laying aside our status, our power, our wealth, our preferences for the sake of another. Can anyone tell that our world is dying for more people like that? And less people consumed about them getting the love and the treatment they deserve? Can anyone tell our world is dying for people to go, you know what, enough about me. Let's talk about you. With no hidden agenda, with no expectation of return, I'm pouring into your life. I'm giving you my resources, my time, my energy, my love. I love you. Can anyone tell our world needs a whole lot of that right now? That's the gospel. That's what happens in a life that's been transformed by Jesus. You're not living with this needy spirit of I need, I need, I need, I need. You're going, I have, I have, I have. Let me give. Let me overflow onto your life. This is what love looks like. That 1 Corinthians 13 love. Love is patient. It's kind. Oh, we talked about this at your wedding. Ariana, man, love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. When the love of Jesus enters your life and begins driving how you pray for people, love on people, and treat people, you will watch the world around you have revival. I'm telling you, and this is for Christians, get on your job. Because when you're living faithfully and discerning the spirit and loving people like God loves them, seeing people as God sees them, you will watch people come alive in God. You don't believe me, I'm telling you the truth. That will happen. When you see people as God sees them and when you love people as God loves them, they will come to know God. I'm not saying everyone, but some will. I promise you that. When the activated love of God consumes your life, it changes everything. It doesn't just change your status with God and your relationship with God. You guys, it changes your friends, how you love them and encourage them. It changes how you talk to them, how you text them. I'm telling you, you're going to start being so sweet to them. They're going to be like, hey, you good? You don't even, you never read, especially not the Bible. What's going on? You know? You high? You've been meditating? What's up, you know? Like, seriously, when Jesus comes into your life and starts dictating how you see people and treat people, they will see that. The love of God will change your marriage. When you begin welcoming the Holy Spirit to dictate how you handle your pride and arrogance when in a confrontation with the spouse of yours that you committed to love and serve till death do you part, when the Holy Spirit has access there, over time it transforms your marriage. It transforms how you work. It transforms how you treat the poor, the prisoner, the widow, the orphan, the marginalized. It transforms everything when the gospel has hold of a heart. When you're partnering with the Holy Spirit, you're working with renewed vision. You don't walk into any room the same. You recognize that God is ready and willing and eager to do anything if you are too. So this is why Jesus says, sell everything. 
He's not being harsh, dude. He's not being too hard on this guy. He's going, something has a hold on you, and I promise you, it's not worth it. Something's distracting you, and I promise you, it's not worth it. These distractions are forever the soul's salt water that will leave you thirsty. I promise you, we can do this now, we can do this later, but at some point, you need a DTR, a define the relationship with all these distractions consuming your mind. At some point, you gotta put the phone down. At some point, you gotta go to a park, stare at the, I was gonna say stare at the sun. That can't be good advice. (laughs) But I meant S-O-N. We needed that break, we needed that break, that was good. But at some point, you gotta go somewhere where you have peace and quiet and listen to your soul because it is not, I say this with reverence toward every belief. I say this with reverence to those not sure of what's real and what's not. But at some point, you have to understand your soul is not content with the distractions you're obsessed with. Mom and dad, God is not as obsessed with finances as you are. He's just not. They're important, you need healthy strategies, I hope retirement's looking good, and I hope you're making great investments. He's not as obsessed with it. Whatever is causing you to worry, whatever is causing you to be anxious, whatever is causing you to be idolatrous, God is not as concerned with those things as you are. And in fact, I think he would suggest you laying them down completely to get the abundant life that only Jesus can offer your soul. This all starts, I'm about to close, you guys ready? land in the plane. Life with God all starts with surrender, with letting go of your preferences, of your thoughts on how this is all supposed to work out, on your thoughts about how the movie that's all about you is supposed to look. It lays down to the Lordship of Jesus. Acts 16, Apostle Paul, he's asked a question, what do I got to do? to have relationship with God. He said something pretty simple. Believe in the Lord Jesus. I would suggest the word Lord is very important there. Believe in the Lord, the one who is sovereign, who has complete control over all the world and will dictate every step your life takes. Believe in the Lord Jesus. Romans 10, 9 through 10 says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Man, that's easy money. I mean, it's hard, but it's not. Like, you know what I'm saying? It is hard because like it's a soul level thing you gotta work out. But I mean, in terms of what he's asking of us, believe in the Lord, confess with your mouth. For with the heart one believes and is justified, just as if I'd never sinned. You guys remember that? And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Acts 2.38, Peter's preaching and says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That word repent, stop doing it your way. Start doing it in the way of Jesus. Be saved in his name. And the reason we have a horse trough outside that's randomly full of water is because for anyone that wants to be saved, the next instruction is to declare it publicly in baptism. And here's what baptism is. It's amazing. All it is, very simple. Do you believe Jesus is the Lord? Do you believe that that God became man, died for your sins, resurrected three days later to give you permanent victory over sin and death? You do? You do. Okay, you are dead to sin and you are alive in Christ. And just as the water is soaking your body, the righteousness of Christ is wrapped around your soul from here until eternity. 
which is forever. So it's a good deal. Um, I believe in my heart that there are people in this room that God wants your soul. I believe there's people here that, that God is knocking on your heart. And again, this is why I spoke to emotionalism. I, I don't say this trying to manipulate you. I, I do believe in my heart that some of you are here and you know you need to give your life to Jesus. In fact, when I'm done talking, we're gonna give like five or six minutes with serene music that, that we kind of do at, at prayer gathering at nine. And I'm just gonna give you chan a chance to pray. We're gonna have some folks standing at the back and if you wanna pray with someone, we'll be there. If you wanna pray with the people you came with, you can do that too. Or you can just pray on your own. But if God is, is talking to you, if you sense his spirit calling you into him, calling you to surrender your life to Jesus, I think this is your morning. That's, that's me putting it very plainly. I think this is your morning to give your life to him. And I want you to know that when you give your life to Jesus, you do not do this alone. One, Scripture promises that the Spirit of God will be with you to help you, to know the truth, to guide you. But two, this church, when doing its job the way it should, and churches fail, it's not an indictment on God, or all churches everywhere, churches will fail, but as best as I can help us, as best as we can do it, we will be here with you to help you in your journey with Jesus. And whatever church you end up going to, the church will be here to help you in this pursuit. So if there's anything standing in your way to giving your life to Jesus, wrestle, refuse to let distractions to get in your way. You're like, man, I don't even got clothes. We got clothes. I kid you not. We brought some, a lot of shorts and t-shirts. We brought towels. You can change into some clothes to get baptized. We got them in all shapes and sizes. And we got multiple of each. So that excuse is gone. The water's gonna be kind of cold, but you're gonna get to change back into your other clothes and warm up again. Whatever's in the way, let your soul speak today. Let the Holy Spirit talk to you. And for the Christians in the room, I'm about to, uh, to leave us to pray for a little bit. I wanna encourage you let the Holy Spirit wake you up to what matters in life, to what really matters in life. And if you found yourself apathetic, sleepy, distracted, let the Holy Spirit point out some very simple ways where you can come back, get locked in with him again. Because I believe when we are activated by the love of God, led by the Holy Spirit, you will see salvation personally taking place around you that is possible. Just because you haven't seen it don't mean it's not possible. It's possible. And so maybe use this time to pray, Holy Spirit, I'm yours. Use me to see salvation happen around me. All right. I'm going to give us a few minutes to pray. I'm going to go stand at the back. If you want to pray, I'll be back there. We'll have some people back there. And uh, in, about a, in about like five or six minutes, I'll come back up here. We'll pray as a church. We'll worship. And then baptisms are taking place after that. We're gonna, if you're new here, we're gonna all crowd around the porch and baptize, I think at least seven people. We got some stuff going down. So, um, all right. Um, yeah, it's, it is, it's my whole heart. Um, all right, we'll play some music, uh, pray, follow, follow whatever the Spirit's doing.